That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Tech Meme Right Home for Wednesday, February 26, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Facebook bans ads around coronavirus. A deeper dive into how the coronavirus crisis might be affecting iPhone development. Bob Iger is no longer Disney's leader, kind of. Why Waymo is hiring like crazy in hopes of a self-driving breakthrough. And if you see someone using an iPhone in a mystery movie, guess what? They're probably not the bad guy. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Facebook says it will now ban ads that promise to cure or prevent COVID-19, the coronavirus. Quote, in a statement, a spokesperson told Business Insider, we recently implemented a policy to prohibit ads that refer to the coronavirus and create a sense of urgency, like implying a limited supply or guaranteeing a cure or prevention. We also have policies for surfaces like Marketplace that prohibit similar behavior, end quote. And quoting The Verge, the statement comes less than a month after the company announced that it would be removing misinformation about the new coronavirus from both its Facebook and Instagram platforms. At the time, it said that this policy would include any content about fake cures or prevention methods or misleading claims about what health resources are available, but it didn't mention whether its policies also covered advertising on its platform. Today's statement clarifies its position. Facebook's position on coronavirus misinformation is similar to its position on anti-vaccination content. Last year, it said it would remove anti-vaccine groups and pages from its recommendations and that it would not allow ads to target users based on related terms. However, doubts have been raised about Facebook's policing. BuzzFeed News reported in January that some anti-vaccination ads still appear on the platform, which Facebook claimed did not violate its policies, end quote. And, several people on Twitter made this point, quoting Patty Cosgrave, Facebook bans ads that promise to cure coronavirus, except if you're a politician promising to cure coronavirus, because, like, free speech, end quote. Continuing on the coronavirus tip for a minute longer, Reuters has an interesting piece talking to ex-Apple employees and supply chain experts, and they all make a point similar to what John Gruber was talking about last week, i.e., this would normally be a crucial time for Apple ramping up for production of this year's main iPhone release. And who knows what might be getting delayed because we presume that prep work is being affected. Quote, High-volume manufacturing is not scheduled until summer, but the first months of the year are when Apple irons out assembly processes with partners such as Foxconn, two former Apple employees said. Quote, they probably have one assembly line they're trying things out on, said one of the former employees who asked not to be named discussing production matters. Are Apple's engineers with the Foxconn engineers? If they are, they're probably making progress. But if they're not, if they're quarantined, that could be bad, end quote. And from later in the piece, 
For new iPhone models, the transition from prototype to the assembly of millions of units starts in earnest when the Lunar New Year holiday in China ends in late January and early February, people familiar with the process said. At that point, Apple has tested numerous prototypes and is in the late stages of what is called engineering validation, in which Foxconn workers assemble small numbers of devices while engineers from both firms troubleshoot. If delays occur at this stage, it would eat into the time Apple needs to finalize orders for chips and other parts, almost all of which are custom-made for the iPhone. Because of the huge volumes needed, quote, they can't wait to make component selections, said Ron Keith, founder of Supply Chain Resources Group, which works with electronics makers such as Alphabet's Nest. In March and April, Apple engineers typically work with Foxconn counterparts to set up new assembly lines and do trial runs before making final adjustments in April and May. The aim is to have production lines up and running in June so others can be added progressively to ramp up output, end quote. A former Apple engineer quoted in the piece said this, quote, You can fly those engineers somewhere else, but there's knowledge about how you make a product in that environment. It's not that it can't be taught, but it's a hard thing to move, she said, end quote. We know, for example, that senior Foxconn officials have been working remotely in Taipei recently and have not yet been able to return to China due to travel restrictions. And another source in the piece said there was no, quote, face-to-face work being done, end quote, but it sounded like they were maybe talking about component work in China generally. Final quote, and the word is, that's probably not going to change for another month at best. You're really talking about two lost months, which in the consumer electronics cycle is huge, end quote. Bob Chapek has been named CEO of the Walt Disney Company, effective immediately. Chapek was the executive most recently in charge of Disney's theme park division. Again, it's weird that we cover Disney news at the moment, but, you know, streaming wars. And hey, Bob Iger stepping down as CEO is pretty monumental news one way or another, but especially because it seems like it was a bit of a surprise. Iger was the guy, of course, that made Disney into a company capable of even doing Disney+. Plus. And the weird thing is, Iger kind of isn't going anywhere, because he's sticking around as Disney's executive chairman, and Chepek will still report to him. Here's Peter Kafka's take, quote, All of which means, insert shrug emoji here for now, Iger had previously said he was going to leave his Disney job, but he kept finding reasons to stick around. Now he says he actually has left his Disney job, but is still sticking around. Iger's for-the-record logic, which he laid out in a quickly scheduled conference call with investors, was that after buying much of Rupert Murdoch's 20th Century Fox and then launching his company's big move into streaming last year, the major structural changes he wanted to make have been made. Now, he said, he has decided that, quote, I should be spending as much time as possible on the creative side of our business because that becomes the biggest priority, end quote. So Disney's board apparently had Chapek in mind as the successor for a while, and Iger reportedly told the board he was going to do this around Thanksgiving, but I don't know about all of that. Because the conventional thinking has been that Iger was going to stick around for at least a couple more years, and that Kevin Mayer, who runs Disney's streaming business, was the obvious choice, probably being groomed as Iger's successor. Also, the timing of this is just downright weird, for the reasons that the great Matthew Ball laid out on Twitter last night. Quote, Bob is 14 months into 
a 36-month extension. He didn't announce this during the Blow Them Away earnings report a few weeks ago. There's no transition. It's immediate. It's coming during the coronavirus parks slash theatrical scare that is crushing the stock right now. Also, it's a random Tuesday news drop, and it comes after months of Iger's press tour around his book, end quote. To which Brett Bivens' tweet replied, quote, Book launch went so well, Iger's pivoting to start a Substack newsletter, end quote. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com TechMeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash tech meme zocdoc.com slash tech meme let's real quick do another sort of reading the tea leaves piece there's a growing sense inside of and outside of waymo that the self-driving revolution isn't happening as quickly as waymo maybe thought it would the latest indication of that is waymo is apparently throwing tons of engineers at the problem at a prodigious rate quoting from the information Waymo nearly doubled its headcount to 1,500 employees known as Waymonauts from 800 about a year ago, said a person with knowledge of the figure. Much of the expansion came from the hiring of hundreds of engineers. Waymo hopes will help it to achieve a technological breakthrough in developing a reliable self-driving vehicle. The workforce expansion suggests Waymo's annual cost is nearing $1 billion, while its brand new automated taxi business is yielding just 
hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in revenue. One signal that Waymo is a long way from developing into a business was the departure last fall of Waymo's first chief commercial officer, Amy Chandy. After just 10 months on the job, her departure hasn't previously been reported. Chandy had arrived with Fanfare from Alibaba Group, the large Chinese e-commerce firm. But Waymo hasn't replaced Chandy, suggesting there aren't many money-making opportunities at the company beyond its small robo-taxi service, serving about 1,500 suburban Phoenix residents. In addition, two of Waymo's senior-most engineers stepped down from their roles as the company entered its second decade of trying to solve one of the world's hardest computer science problems, underscoring the technical challenges that still lie ahead, end quote. The information goes on to say that Waymo is putting additional resources into simulation software to work out the kinks in its software before it sends it out into real roads, and is also throwing bodies at the machine learning software to try to make breakthroughs in areas like perception, or how quickly the software can categorize objects that it encounters in the real world. Former employees say Waymo has been trying to grab all the good machine learning engineers it can get its hands on, including poaching them from Google. From the interesting raise file, Plume is a startup that has developed an AI-powered adaptive home Wi-Fi mesh network, and they've raised a $60 million Series D at a $510 million valuation to keep doing so, quoting VentureBeat. Founded in 2014, Plume is one of a number of companies seeking to improve Wi-Fi connectivity by strategically placing multiple routers throughout the home. Plume continuously learns and adapts to each household, monitoring internet usage and allocating bandwidth based on the devices that need it most. The increase in connected devices in the home, from fridges and smart speakers to TVs and light bulbs, has created more potential for internet black spots, something mesh network companies are eager to fix. Charter Communications, which trades under the Spectrum name, is one of the largest cable TV and internet companies in the U.S. and recently announced that it was adopting Plume's open-source OpenSync framework, the framework which launched back in 2018 in partnership with existing customer Samsung, is available for any company developing its own services, such as Wi-Fi mesh networks, parental control systems, or any new product that requires managed Wi-Fi. Today, Plume claims more than 650 million devices, communicating with 16 million OpenSync switches across 14 million households, according to a statement, end quote. Let's end today with a big old grab bag of some sort of fun, smaller stories. First, two programmer musicians have algorithmically generated every 8-note, 12-beat MIDI melody in one octave and openly licensed it all to help others in future copyright suits, quoting Vice. Programmer, musician, and copyright attorney Damian Real, along with fellow musician programmer Noah Rubin, sought to stop copyright lawsuits that they believe stifle the creative freedom of artists. To determine the finite nature of melodies, Rail and Rubin developed an algorithm that recorded every possible 8-note, 12-beat melody combo. This used the same basic tactic some hackers used to guess passwords, churning through every possible combination of notes until none remained. Real says this algorithm worked at a rate of 300,000 melodies per second. Once a work is committed to a tangible format, it's considered copyrighted, and in MIDI format, notes are just numbers. Quote, Under copyright law, numbers are facts, and under copyright law, facts either have thin copyright Almost no copyright or no copyright at all, Real explained in a talk. So maybe if these numbers have existed since the beginning of time and we're just plucking them out 
maybe melodies are just math, which is just facts, which is not copyrightable, end quote. Now, there is some debate about that. Parker Higgins, who I trust about this stuff implicitly, suggests that this probably wouldn't stand up in court. But hey, you know, some real Robin Hood stuff here, so good job. Slightly related, the Smithsonian Institute just released 2.8 million high-quality images, both two- and three-dimensional images, under a Creative Commons Zero license, so all the images are completely free to use. Quoting the next web. The Smithsonian says it plans to release 200,000 additional images this year. The Institute says this collection is merely 2% of its archives as it plans to digitize all 155 million items from its archives, end quote. And next, spoiler alert. Seriously, spoiler alert. If you see someone using an iPhone in a movie or TV show, that most likely means they aren't going to end up being the bad guy. That's according to director Ryan Johnson regarding Apple's policies for using their products in films and TV shows, quoting The Verge. Apple, they let you use iPhones in movies, but, and this is very pivotal if you're ever watching a mystery movie, bad guys cannot have iPhones on camera, the director said in a video interview with Vanity Fair. He joked that revealing this information could potentially spoil future mystery movies by revealing who the goodies and baddies are. Quote, every single filmmaker that has a bad guy in their movie that's supposed to be a secret wants to murder me right now, he joked. It's a particularly important detail in a movie like Knives Out, where at one point or another, basically every character is suspected of murdering wealthy crime novelist Harlan Thrombey. Don't worry, though, the specific screenshot Johnson shares isn't too much of a spoiler if you're yet to see the film. There have long been rumors about Apple's control over how its products are shown in TV shows and movies. According to Mac Rumors, the company says that its products should only be used, quote, in the best light in a manner or context that reflects favorably on the Apple products and on Apple Inc., end quote. And as far back as 2002, people noticed that on the original seasons of the show 24, all the good guys used Macs, and all the bad guys used Windows PCs, as The Verge asked. So what should we take away from the fact that everyone on Succession seems to use Samsung devices? And finally, finally, just the other day, a listener got in touch over Twitter, got in touch politely, to suggest that I'm pronouncing the word GIF wrong. Well, you might have seen this. GIF the peanut butter company in conjunction with Giphy, the, I don't know, meme company, released limited edition jars of Jif peanut butter. Jif, J-I-F, but on the jars, it's labeled G-I-F and has the sub-label animated looping images. So apparently the J.M. Smuckers company, which owns Jif peanut butter, wants to suggest that it owns the Jif pronunciation with a soft G, while Gif should be a hard G. This is all despite the fact that Steve Wilhite, who created the graphics interchange format, said in 2013 that it's pronounced GIF. And he invented the darn thing, so, you know. Look, how about this? Every time I have to talk about this word, what if I just rotate the pronunciation so that it'll piss everyone off equally? This time, I'll pronounce it GIF. Next time, I'll pronounce it GIF, and on and on, because actually, I really don't know how I tend to pronounce it most times, so I probably have been saying it both ways already, depending on which way the wind is blowing that day. And also, you know, clearly, there's nothing else going on in the world right now 
that people should be getting riled up about, right? I like this idea from the great Hunter Walk on Twitter this morning. Here's his pitch. New York Times wedding section style write-ups and picks, but for how startup co-founders met each other, end quote. Talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.